Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. I didn't even cry. Is there something wrong with me? I think you're dead inside. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gen X This Is Why, a podcast that reexamines the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. I'm your host, Amy, a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm your host, Jenny, born in 1974. Today, we are looking at Little House on the Prairie, Season 2, Episode 8, Remember Me, Parts 1 and 2. On Amazon, they're together, so it's one episode. The description reads, a widowed mother named Julia Sanderson learns she has a terminal illness and has no close relatives to care for her three children, John Jr., Carl, and Alicia. Charles promises Mrs. Sanderson the children will find a new home. Meanwhile, the relationship between Mr. Edwards and Grace Schneider begins to blossom. You mean the widow Schneider. (laughs) Right. Is she a widow? Yeah, she is. I just, I want to give a serious warning to our audience. (laughs) Trigger warning? Trigger warning, content warning. You know, this episode's pretty depressing. So if you're struggling right now through the pandemic like we all are, you may want to, you know, brace yourself. I I. I think people appreciate that, but I also think like diehard fans of Little House, like they know that. I mean, They've it's not like this. This is. It's not yeah. like there's one episode like this. <laughs> like this is nine seasons. I will say halfway really through, I texted Jenny a picture of my crying face, and I called her a scum bucket. <laughs> she did. She called me a scum bucket, bringing that term back. <laughs> And I'm like, look, I just picked the episode because it introduces three new important characters. Like, you kind of need that history. I I wasn't like, how can I make Amy cry? (laughs) So Jenny said, you know, should we still do it? Should we still do it? And I said, yes, because I agree with you, Jenny. It's a pivotal episode to develop the characters of Mr. Edwards and Grace. But also, I feel like this is classic Little House. Yeah, we got to know how to get through these kind of episodes. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of pain. (laughs) Okay, so let's start. We open as some asshole throws a bunch of puppies in a sack, drives his wagon out to a pond, puts a rock in the bag, and throws it into a river. So can I just discuss that <laughs> opening scene? Because it's like the music, the lighting, the like the like very dispersed scene and like muted colors. It felt like Terrence Malick directed this. <laughs> like it was the dogs looking at each other as they're parting. I if I were crazy. if I were those puppies like I would want some kind of paternity test because those puppies did I not know. look like they came from that dog. 
I know. And of course they pick the cutest puppies in the world for the puppy death scene. Like really, really digging in there, really digging into the heartstring. So this guys, this is how it starts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And that's what you texted me. You're like, the opening scene is somebody killing three puppies. I'm like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Damn. (laughs) Before this douchebag can throw these puppies into the river, Laura and Mary are like skipping along Minding their own business, they come across the scene. And, like, the guy has the bag in the back of the wagon, and he's putting the rock in. And the puppies are, like, wincing and yelping. And the girls are like, uh, what's in the bag, mister? Can I ask a question here? Yes. Are the girls younger again? Yes. Okay. I'm starting to know. I'm starting to guess. Yeah. We need to look that up. Yeah, because I felt like they seemed younger again. And I'm and, like, and I feel like we can't do it in a pause. Sorry, guys. I feel no, like it needs to be, Jenny that. needs to like go deep. I'll on work that. on that. I'll write that down. So this guy threatens to hit them with the stick and tells the girls to get out of there and then throws the puppies into the pond and drives away. And immediately the girls, this was the greatest scene. The girls <laughs> fly into the river. They're swimming. We see them like underwater shots, which was probably fancy in 1974. Fancy. And they're looking around, or 75, whenever second season aired. 75. And they come across the bag. They get it out. Laura can't open the bag. Mary's, and I will, I can't believe I'm going to say this sentence. Go ahead. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I think. Go ahead. <laughs> Don't make me say it. Mary really big sisters this situation. Yeah, she yeah. really she does. She has to take all the trauma. She has yep. to take the she trauma on and be like, I'll do it. She saves the puppies. And Laura and Mary, start, once they discover the puppies are okay, they start hugging each other and crying. It's like the sweetest thing. And right there, I start crying. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> and the puppies lived. Like nothing bad even happened there, well, she's ultimately. Like, There's another one. I can't oh, I know. do it. And And Mary's like, I got this. I'm the older Mm -hmm. sister. I have to pull the dead puppy out of the bag. Mm -hmm. It's all on me. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's the only credit I'll ever give Mary. (laughs) Good job, Mary. Okay. So I wrote the scene is both traumatic and at the same time, absolutely adorable. Well, when the guy was going to hit them with the stick, I was like, guys, this guy is drowning puppies. Get the fuck out of there. I know. He is not a good man. Like, and, and Jesus. let me just tell our, our listeners, all three of you, the man and the puppies serve no other purpose in this episode, but to be a very obvious metaphor. So <laughs> we don't know who metaphor. this man is. There's no connection. Nope. Nothing. No. Okay. Nothing. Back at the homestead, the puppies are in the barn and Jack is nestled with them. And let me just say, not an easy episode to watch with my dog, Nelly. But I <laughs> guess you recognize that. Laura asks Caroline if Jack knows that he's a boy. And Caroline says, yeah, I suppose so. And Laura says, he thinks he's their paw. Again, I'm sobbing at this point. Wow. (laughs) Charles tells the girls he's finding homes for the puppies. And that's it. They're not keeping them because they already have Jack. And look how useless that dog is. Seriously, is three more dogs on this farm going to make a difference? There's like 100 chickens. There's cows. It's not like like they're buying dog food. Like, what is Jack eating anyway? Oh, I don't know. That's yeah, a good question. I don't know. Let me write that down. What do dogs eat? <laughs> Mary wants to bring the puppies to school. And Caroline's like, no. The girls get shuffled off to bed. And Laura tells Charles, I don't think I'm going to tell Nellie about the pups. And she says that she knows Nellie would feed the puppies. 
but she doesn't think she would really love it. And I, well, I love Laura's, that's pretty insightful love, for a kid her age. I love Laura's plan where she's like, I'm going to bring the puppies to school and see if like the kids will take them home. And <laughs> Carolyn's like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Could you no. imagine that? Every parent wall in a grove would be out at the Ingalls. <laughs> I know, I know. The next morning, Charles is, uh, Timmy was laughing because I, I use voice notes. So I'm like saying all of this out loud while I'm watching it. And yeah, I wrote, the next morning, Charles is hitching up the team. <laughs> Timmy goes, really? <laughs> Charles is hitching up the team and tells Laura he's going to sleepy eye with Mr. Edwards. No, oh, fuck. Suddenly, Laura yells, oh, it's the Sandersons. And we see a family walking onto the Ingalls property. There's a mother and three children. And we learn that the mother's a widow. So it's the widow Sanderson. And Charles helps her out. Inside the barn, the kids are looking at the dogs. And so we have three new kids now. We have Alicia, who's adorable. She She's kind of like a baritone Carrie, though. She's so cute. Oh, I talk extensively later about the need for pre-K in Walnut Grove. <laughs> um, we have Alicia. We have John Jr., who's the oldest. And then we have Carl, who's somewhere in between. So they're talking and they want a puppy and it's decided that Alicia should ask the mother because the mother doesn't really tell Alicia no about anything. So Alicia's like, can I name the puppy if I'm the one who's going to ask for it? And they're like, yeah, okay. She's going to name the puppy Jenny what? Mine. 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 Yeah, she's kind of like Carrie. I wrote, I think Walnut Grove desperately needs a preschool, free pre-K or something. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Mr. Edwards and Grace show up. And as Mr. Edwards and Charles are getting ready to leave, Grace gives him a kiss and he swats her away and tells her not to kiss him in front of people. No, no PDAs in Mr. Edwards' world. And Charles tells Mr. Edwards to take advice from a friend and marry that woman. And what does Mr. Edwards say? I don't know. I forget. What does he say? The problem with friends is they're always giving advice. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's a problem with many people, Mr. Edwards. Okay. The kids are walking to school and Alicia decides now's the time she's going to ask for the puppy. I wrote Alicia's mother looks a lot older. Well, how we don't know how old she is. Pause. And we're back. Uh, So at the time of taping, the actress Patricia Neal was 50. How old's Alicia? Well, um... She's like, she's older than Carrie, but not by much. There's some so fuzzy maybe math. like six, maybe like, yeah. But when Charles referenced, like they asked, someone asked that in the episode because. <laughs> I have notes on that. Right. And he, he like gives a range he between 30 and 40. Year range. I know. It's ridiculous. But say, say you suspend disbelief and she's like 45, like, cause John Jr. is older, right? Like yeah. he's probably about 15. Yeah. So. I uh, I don't know. I, I like her. I, like I think her she's too, a classy lady. I love her voice. So Mrs. Sanderson sees Alicia moping by a tree and she's like, <laughs> I want something. I don't think you'll say yes. And it turns out that she wants the puppy. Mrs. Sanderson's like, did the boys make you ask me? Yes. Okay. You can have the puppy. All right. Well, and the other thing about that is, and I don't know if you can relate to this. They were like, let's ask her now in front of people. So she can't say no. Oh, that was sinister Mary. <laughs> Yeah, Mary. That was good. Mary's like, I you thought that was good. Now in front of people because she won't say. You know how hard it is to say no. Do you do you get this problem? I feel like you wouldn't care. You would just say no. I would just say no. Yeah. Um. So then there's like some bantering about with the women where Grace is like just basically thinking of ways she could trap Mr. Edwards into marriage. 
And I feel like when you're, when you're, why would you pick Mr. Edwards if you're like the hunker down and have a family type? Oh, like I that's just pick, a bad well, choice. We, we all know who I would pick. Okay. Oh, God. But since he's taken, <laughs> what are your other options? I but think Mr. Uh, Edwards would be fun. Yeah, but he's just like, he's so adverse to this. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Okay. So Caroline invites Mrs. Sanderson and Grace to join she and Charles and the girls for a picnic after church on Sunday. Mrs. Sanderson says, are you sure your husband wants all those kids around on day of rest? So I turned to Timmy and I said, Timmy, would you want all those kids around on your day of rest? And Timmy says, quote, no, get your fucking kids out of here. I'm <laughs> resting over here. Okay. Julia is at Dr. Baker's office. She said she has swollen glands, but as Doc Baker is feeling her lymph nodes, it's clear that she's been sick for a while and they've been waiting for this to progress. She asks Dr. Baker how much longer he has. He doesn't really know. And I wrote, I'm curious as to know how he knows any of this. Like he couldn't even, I wrote, let's not forget he couldn't even give Mary a vision test. Yeah. And he's just like touching her lymph nodes. And then he walks away from her and like stares in the corner when he's talking about her dying. Like, mm -hmm, dude, mm -hmm. that is not good bedside manner. <laughs> well, scarecrow. Dr. Baker essentially tells her he doesn't know how much longer she has, but it could be any time now. Could be a week. Could be a year. Could be 10 years. Has no idea. Mm hmm Okay, so Julia's like, all right, she's accepting it. She's got to start making plans. So she heads back home, and we see <clears throat> Charles plowing the fields. I have some questions on the timeline here. Okay. Because I'm so confused. I was so confused. So they went to Sleepy Eye, right? Yes. They can't, because this is all one day, because she went to the doctors. You saw Grace walk into the post mm -hmm, office. Mm -hmm. Right. So she's back from the doctor, which you're assuming that that is only how long could that appointment have taken? I mean, she could have gone other places, but she comes back. The kids are out of school. So it's later in the day. Mm -hmm. So did did Pa and Isaiah go to Sleepy Eye, come back? He's plowing a field. And then later, Carolyn talks about she she was going to go over to her house. Like, how long is fucking Saturday? <laughs> it seems weird, right? Because Sleepy Eye is half half the distance to Mankato and takes them three days to go to Mankato. Right. I know. I thought that was weird too. That yeah, he was back. There's some problems. I there. mean, I never question too much. If I get more Charles, <laughs> it's when I get less Charles. that I get right, all right, Whatever. Okay. So she asks Charles, Oh, she confides in Charles that she's going to die. And she asks him, Oh, let me just say too. back up. Michael Landon written and directed by. Okay. Well, yeah. And he totally wrote this scene to try to score himself an Emmy. Mm hmm. She asks Charles for a suggestion on who could raise her kids. And he is shook. Like he can barely <laughs> even look at her. Finally, she's like, I don't need your pity. I need your help right now. And Charles says, look, I'll tell the people at church on Sunday that the children are looking for a home. Julia says, at least then she would know they were God fearing people. She then says she doesn't want anyone taking. Okay. All right. So, you know, I can't rewind my Roku at all. Pause <laughs> or play. <laughs> So I think Julia said, I wrote this down because I liked it. She said she doesn't want anyone taking the children out of pity because pity wears off quick and it's a poor substitute for love. I think. Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. She announces she's going to tell the children that night. And then she asks Charles for a promise. If she doesn't get her affairs sorted before she dies, will he see to it that the children find a good home? And he says yes. 
That's not a small thing. I mean, that's gonna that's huge. I'm sobbing at this point. <laughs> and I wrote, this was very emotional to watch as a mother during a pandemic. I bet. Yes. Okay. Later that night, Julia sets the fireplace and sits down to tell the kids she's dying. And I wrote, I don't even know if I can fucking handle this right now. <laughs> I, figured, I figured you were probably losing your shit because, like, this was harsh. Like, Julia tells the children that she is going to see their father in heaven again. Sooner than expected, but God is calling her home, blah, blah, blah. John Jr. realizes what she's saying and he starts to cry. And Julia starts yelling at him not to cry. Jenny? Yeah. Well, harsh. Suck that emotion down. If eat, your eat children, if your children can't cry after you just told them you're dying, when can they cry, Jenny? <laughs> I mean, this is a harsh. You know, these are some harsh generations, man. These they're children like, are going to be fucked up for the rest of their lives. You know that, not because well, their parents are dead, but because they're not allowed to mourn them. Well, and you can see the burden physically drop on John Jr. Like you can, you can see it. Julia then tells the children that they're going to go to church on Sunday and she wants them to dress in their finest because they are John Sanderson's children and they have a right to be proud. And I guess it's a good thing she let them have that puppy. Yeah. Because their lives came crashing down. Well, and it's, but it's a little sad because they're going to forever relate this puppy to their mother dying, I feel like. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the next morning, Caroline and Charles are getting ready for church and Caroline starts crying about Mrs. Sanderson. It was really sad. Uh, we go to church, and guess what, Jen? They're singing Bringing in the Sheaves again. They're always singing that. Your man. favorite. They're always singing that. Then, in what can only be described as the saddest scene ever. No, no. Second to the blind school. I mean, I feel like there's probably other ones, too. But okay. Mrs. Sanderson not only goes up to the front church herself, but drags the kids up there. Yep. And announces to the congregation that she's dying and that she needs a new home for the kids. And everybody is just stunned into they're silence. Stunned. They're stunned. And they're like, she's like, you might not all know me. How is there anyone in this town that doesn't know someone? There's like 25 of them. Like, and you don't do think, not know her? You don't think the news of her death has rippled through already? I know. Doc like, Baker knows. So you now you Baker know Hanson knows. Because <laughs> there's no privacy laws. No. So after church, they go to a picnic, and once again, we see Charles blindfolded chasing the children around. You know what I'm thinking. No. Mm. No, I don't. <laughs> Edwards and Charles are playing tag with the kids, and Julia wants to play and begs Grace and Caroline to play as well. She says she wants her kids to remember her laughing. And what the hell is Laura doing? She's like, I'll keep an eye out for ants. Well, Laura's super upset. Couldn't you read that, Jenny? Well, I saw the heavy camera zoom on her in church, so I figured. <laughs> Laura's super upset and is sulking by a tree. Last episode, I posited my theory about everyone in town wanting to bang Charles. Oh, God. And there's further evidence in this episode because Julia cannot keep her hands off of him. Oh, my God. She runs to him and she's like in his arms in this weird embrace. Well, there's a lot I have to say about all of that camera work. <laughs> And she's, you know, he's also the one she's, like, confiding in. Like, I just think, mm, okay. There's a lot of heavy-handed, like, everyone's having fun. Like, Yeah, we don't know how to do that subtly. 
Yeah, there's no, there's nothing subtle about that. I'm like, why is Laura the most depressed person here? Someone's literally dying, and three people are losing a parent, their last parent. Uh huh. And Laura's the one sobbing by the tree. Laura feels everything the deepest. Oh, she's okay. the writer. She's the empath. Right. Okay. So Laura's super upset, and Charles comes over to talk to her, and she says she's scared, and she's scared to be near Julia because she's going to die. And she asks Charles how old Julia is. And Charles says, oh, 30 or 40, I suppose. Yeah. Holy shit, Charles. Wow. Uh, Laura says she doesn't know if she could handle if something ever happened to Charles or Caroline. Charles tells her she can't spend her whole life worrying about dying. And boom, Laura's fixed. Thanks, Charles. There's something I want to say about their blue dresses here that I remembered oh, suddenly okay. right. for some reason. Okay. You know those blue Sunday school dresses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunday dresses. There was some episode somewhere where like that material I think Charles bought for Carolyn or something, and Carolyn made the two dresses instead of one for her. Oh, I just remember oh, that. Okay. Remember that? That was a cute episode. I don't know what one it was. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna get super dark for a minute and Great. say. Timmy and I were talking during this episode, and we oh, realized no. that you are the only person who can possibly have our children if we die. So, I, oh my gosh, I'm just putting that on camera, on recording, on, on the camera. record. Put it on camera. I'm putting it on the record. Um, um, thank God they're getting older and older every day. They are, they're and we did sick. consider could they just live here by themselves at 14? <laughs> no. The answer to that question is absolutely not. <laughs> and then it was like, do we have to give them to Jenny? I'm like, we really. <laughs> yeah, what no about mom? Choice. We Mom's really have no other still. choice. No other choice. Mom's pretty young still. Nope. Okay. So there's a little bit of time passage, and the next scene we have Doctor Baker arriving at the Ingalls home, and I would like to say we saw the carriage pull up, and I said that's Doc Baker's car. <laughs> <laughs> you want a medal for that? He informs Charles and Caroline that Julia Sanderson has collapsed that morning and Reverend Alden is with her now. We see Julia in the bed. She looks pretty healthy. She looks exactly the same. I don't understand. Like, you couldn't give her any makeup? Little circles under the eyes? Make her a little paler or something? Yeah, Yeah. something. She looks exactly the same. (laughs) She gives Reverend Alden something she wants him to read. I'm assuming at her funeral. But why? Because... She, even though she's dying, she's like, I can't listen to you go on and on she and on. She accuses so him of being long-winded. Should, here's what you should read at my funeral. I love that. Soon, Charles and Caroline show up and they walk in the room. Julia extends her hand and says, come sit by me and looks disappointed when Caroline is the one who accepts the offer. Julia reminds Charles of the promise you made the other day. And I wrote, holy shit, this has only been a few days. I know. This is like a rough couple days, man. Like she went in with the swollen lymph node. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because she was sick. Right, right, right. She was sick. And it must be cancer. And it probably moved into her lymph system. That's probably what happened. And he just told that, could tell that by feeling it. By just touching it. Julia says, Grace will take care of the children until Charles can make the decision because Julia did not have time to wrap this up. No, of course not. I have a question. Go ahead. Are, is like is Reverend Alden going to give last rites? Like is last rites only a Catholic thing? I like I seriously know I know more about Hinduism than Protestantism. I have no idea. No idea. I was just wondering if like that's because that's like a sacrament for Catholics. I was wondering if that. I mean, I thought that's what was happening, and that's why he was yeah. there. Yep. But I don't know. Julia tells Charles, "Look, the kids aren't going to be happy, but you have to be firm." And then she just dis- yeah, she does tell him that. Then she dismisses them and asks for the children. Everyone out there listening, pause, take a deep breath, 
We're through the tough shit, okay? <laughs> the rest Are we? we haven't even gotten to the funeral yet. Right, but the rest isn't as bad as grappling with a parent trying to decide who's going to raise their children after they die. It was heartbreaking the first half. Heartbreaking. I didn't even cry. Is there something wrong with me? I think you're dead inside because I was sobbing <laughs> like a fool. I mean, it's, you know, I don't, I don't have the direct point of view as a parent as you do. So, you know, I think the parent stuff probably really got to you. The parent stuff got to me and, you know, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but we are recording it during a pandemic and you see news stories like of parents dying. Teachers are writing letters to their children, like in case they die, they're updating their wills, getting ready to go back to school. Like it's insanity right now. And this was just not what I needed. (laughs) I mean, if we, if we release on our regular schedule, this will only be a couple weeks right but somebody might find it a year from now i doubt we'll be out of this pandemic oh my god this could be like our time capsule oh god go on the year is 2020 time capsules were such a big thing remember they were the year is 2020 (laughs) the world is a piece of shit right now (laughs) you're lucky you missed it mostly the u.s yeah One thing I want to mention is it's raining when she dies and then it's raining at the funeral. So the next scene we have, it's pouring rain. Everyone is standing around a graveyard. Reverend Alden is reading the letter that Julia wrote. And again, cannot rewind. So I have some of the quote, not all of it. It says, remember me with a smile and laughter for that's the way I'll remember you all. And then it's something like, if you can't remember me that way, fuck you. I don't know the second half. If you remember me with sadness, don't remember me at all. Uh, I think my version pretty much summed it up. All right, whatever. Um, A couple approaches Charles at the funeral. They say they want to talk about the children. He tells them to come around the house around eight o'clock that night and they'll talk. Okay. Later that night, Charles is talking to the girls and they ask him about the last puppy. They can't seem to find a home for him. Nellie wants him, but they don't want Nellie have him. This whole thing with Nellie wanting the puppy goes through the whole episode because he won't have a good loving home. And Charles tells Laura, let's just see what happens. I'd rather have the puppy stay here with us than to go to a home he wouldn't be happy in. And I wrote, oh my God, could you lay the metaphor on anything or Charles? It's like the 250 pound metaphor. Like it's, yeah. he's beating us over the head with it now. Yep, it's like, yep, we get it. Yep. We get it. They might as well just name the puppies, Alicia, Carl, <laughs> and John Jr. <laughs> okay. So the couple that approached Charles earlier, their name is the Anders. And the mother won't take off her wrap and they don't want any cookies. And I thought that was weird. Immediately. I was like, if they refuse Carolyn's homemade cookies, like I'm already suspicious of these people. So Mr. Anders says that he wants to take the boys and not Alicia, basically because he wants the boys to work his farm. He wants farmhands. Charles says he will not separate the kids. And Mrs. Anders starts to say she really wants a little girl. (laughs) But Mr. Anders is like, shut up. Don't talk. No way. Nope. Nope. Not happening. And Charles, like his instincts are like, this is not a good situation. And Caroline concurs. Like after they leave, she's like, "Uh -uh, not good. And then Charles drinks some coffee. Charles drinks some coffee. He's like, I'm just going to finish my coffee and come to bed. Because Carolyn goes, I'm going to come to bed. And Charles is like, I'm going to finish my coffee. And I'm like, who, drink- who is drinking coffee at 8 o'clock at yeah. night? And then I have an index card. <laughs> on coffee. Yes, on coffee. 
Wow. Oh, by the way, we didn't address. Did you like the sound effect for your index card? Whatever. I'll let you have this victory. Mm -hmm. Do you know where that's from? The Price is Right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so go ahead, Lamo. Is Charles drinking decaf? <laughs> you, know so my, much. you know my you passion do the index card on something we really would give a shit about like um cancer or <laughs> i'm gonna do an index card on cancer that's not an index card length study okay okay so i and i am passionate about this because i recently switched to decaf aim why did i switch to decaf um i don't know because i have a sleep app that I've been grinding through all of the data sets on of how well I'm sleeping and all the data points of what impacts Mm -hmm. my sleep. And I eventually realized that it's caffeinated coffee. I'm drinking it too late. I can't. Even when I drink it, even when I drink it at like 9am, it still impacts me. Like I thought as long as I was drinking it before like 11, I was okay, but the data says otherwise. So I switched to decaf. I can't drink it after 12. It's not like my favorite thing in the world, but I switched to decaf. So Decaf was so Charles is not drinking decaf. He is drinking fully caffeinated coffee at 8 p.m. at night because decaf was invented in 1900 in Germany by the founders of the Cafe Hog Company. Hmm. They called it. Do you know what they called it? Decaf. Decaf coffee. Sanka. Oh, I remember Sanka. Yeah, Sanka from the French for sans caffeine. Yeah, I remember Sanka. He invented it because he believed his father died from too much caffeine and that it was poison. Side note, it is possible to die from an overdose of caffeine, but I won't get into that. Hmm. It was actually part of early Nazi party propaganda. The company wasn't involved, but they they wanted to promote decaf so that people didn't have like racing hearts and nervous problems. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> the company's name was changed to Sanka in 1932 and sold to General Foods. So it kind of got out of the heavy late Nazi stuff. Mm-hmm. Scientists are working on a naturally caffeine-free bean, but it's been a challenge. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, when you talk about a caffeine overdose, it reminds me of Jolt Cola. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, there was all those kinds of th- like, like I feel like there's tons of that kind of stuff now. But like, remember there was like Jolt and there was like No Dose. Like I remember taking that shit in college. I just remember Jolt, and they bragged. Yeah. Hold on, we're gonna pause because I want to come up with the commercial tagline. Pause. All right, I'm back. So Jolt Cola, their slogan is all the sugar and twice the caffeine. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Wow. It came out in 1985. That was great. That and, we were and it was around for like 24 years. It didn't, they didn't declare bankruptcy until 2017. I mean, I feel like Mountain Dew kind of took its place, right? And things like Monster and. Oh, no, wait, I'm lying. Bankruptcy in 2009. In 2017, they announced it was coming back. Oh my god. Great <laughs> shit. Awesome. Okay, there's some things we should just leave in 1985. Leave in the past. Okay, where were we? Back at the Sanderson house, Grace and Mr. Edwards are talking about grief and loss, and I realize they're both they both have lost their spouses. Yeah, the only notes I have about this is I really like Grace's dress, and she has like fancy hair without having just the standard bun. I love and her. I- and I also think this is all her elaborate plan to like further domesticate Mr. Edwards. Oh, I, ha- I have extensive notes on that later. <laughs> Mr. Edwards says that your hands and your bodies, your body always has a chill after you lose someone. Hmm. I liked that. I don't know why. Yeah, Grace sorry. has the amazing insight that Julia's kids act and look like her. 
Wow. No, she agrees. They're her kids. <laughs> She's like, I can't believe how much they look like her. Genetics, Grace. Edward says he's going to head home and he'll come back in the morning. And just as he does, Alicia opens the door and comes out. And Edward is paralyzed with fear. He's like, do you want some milk? Is something wrong? And she's like, the dog peed in the bed. And they start Ew. to laugh. And Ugh. Edwards and Grace clean it up. And Gross. later, Mr. Edwards tucks her in. And he tells her he's going to make a little bed for the dog. And she takes her two little hands. And she puts them on her beard, on his beard. And starts to, like, knead his beard. Gross. It was so cute. Okay. There's a little bit of a time jump. And Charles is arriving home from having been at another couple's house who were considering the children, but no luck. He says it's been four weeks and no one wants the children and he's starting to get worried. Caroline makes another reference about how well taken care of they are with Mr. Edwards and Grace and how they're spoiling them rotten and how they could spit further than any other child in Hero Township. Is I, no one seeing this answer right in front of their faces? I know. I, I, uh, I was tempted to look up the record for spitting, but I didn't know if there was Thank God you didn't. Interesting thing. Charles and Caroline head over to the Sanderson place. Mr. Edwards is building a treehouse and forgets to build a door. He rips off a board and says, there, John Jr., there's your fucking door. <laughs> Apparently, Carrie has come with Charles and Caroline, and she opens up her trash mouth and some garbage spills out, but we don't know what she said. I have no idea what she said. She said, I'm going to play dollies. I wrote that down because I knew you would be it's pretty like, enough. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> the next scene we have is Charles at Olson's Mercantile. Like, I don't know why we had that scene. Maybe just to show that Mr. Edwards was building the treehouse and they were... I think to move the time along, too. Maybe. Like, they arrive at the Sanderson place, but we have no idea what happened. Because the next scene we have, Charles is in Olson Mercantile. Well, so. he, they dropped Carrie off. I know they dropped Carrie and Carolyn off. Maybe. Harriet... Okay, so Charles is at Olson's Mercantile buying some two-penny nails. And Harriet asks him to come into the parlor and introduces her cousin, Miss Farnsworth. Harriet says her cousin is rich, has never married, has no children, and is young, the same age as Harriet. Nope. I nope. mean, nope. this, this woman, woman is, is 46, I'm 17. She's like, she's got to be close to 60, if not in her 60s. Well, the cousin's name is Minerva, which I love. Yeah, I like that name. And she reveals she's a lonely spinster. And I wrote, Jenny, is that you? That is not me. If not this woman wasn't asking to have children, I would swear it was you. <laughs> and I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm not a spinster. This, has, this woman has nothing to do with me. She wants to adopt Alicia, but not the boys. She wants and to she meet, wants a child. Yeah. She wants to meet Alicia. Well, that's what I said. If she wasn't asking for kids, I would swear this was you. No. She wants to meet Alicia and she wants to get to know her a little bit. And then she tells Charles, you can make the decision. I like how she's kind of owning Harriet a little bit. She really is. Yeah, it's kind of good. Because she's like, I am not 46, dude. Like, and she's like not having Harriet. Like she knows Harriet for what she is. Like she's mm -hmm. not like Harriet at all, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Later that night, Charles is holding the puppy, Alicia. I mean, the last puppy. <laughs> and laments that he can't find a home for the puppy or for the children. Charles gets emotional. He and Caroline are in the barn and Charles I mean, gets emotional. All the fucking drama happens in the barn. It does. Right? Like it it's does. the most dramatic place on earth. <laughs> the English barn. And like, he probably thinks this is such brilliant writing with this metaphor of the puppy. Oh, like what the fuck? Like who is in the writer's room? Who's okaying this? <laughs> no. There, do you think anyone else has agency over this? No. 
Come on. Charles gets emotional and says he wishes he could keep the children, but he has a hard time putting shoes on his own girl's feet. He then says it's the first time in his life he wishes he was rich. And Charles Kel- then Charles tells Caroline, we're going to have a picnic after church on Sunday. Miss Farnsworth is going to spend time with Alicia, and he walks away. Oh, I feel you, Charles. I, I mean, I have to admit, I do feel bad for her. Like, that's a rough position to be in. She put him in a shitty spot. What else was she going to do? I don't know. But you know what I also thought about? The town strangely respects this. Like, nobody's like, wait a minute, Charles, you don't have the authority to make this decision. Like, nothing's written down. Nothing's in law. Nothing's legal. But, like, there's this bond of trust and honor. And I'm like, yeah, we don't have that anymore. We don't have that anymore. And there's no No. system for any of this. Like, this is, I mean, but honestly, like, if you didn't have somebody like Charles getting involved or the town, like, these kids would just be wandering around. Like, there's, there was no safety nets then. But there was also communities that handled this Mm -hmm. well. At the picnic, Minerva is starting to get to know Alicia a little bit. And we start to see that Mr. Edwards is getting sour. Edwards goes to get some water and he's by Minerva. And she's like, what have I done to offend you? Because you've barely spoken to me. And he said, basically, like, he thinks that children need more than a big house and money. And Minerva says, this might come as a surprise to you, but even rich people can love. And I kind of like her. Yeah, I thought she handled this well. And, like, his poutiness was so obvious. And, like, I was kind of getting pissed because I'm like, dude, just pull the trigger. Like, just figure your shit out. Like, this is your own fault. I know. Mr. Edwards then goes over to feed the horse and has a fight with Charles. He thinks Charles is wrong. He's always Charles has always had a family. And Charles has no idea what it's like to be alone. And Mr. Edwards gives, like, this passionate speech about what it's like to be alone. And... He says, everyone thinks he's a happy-go-lucky guy, but when his wife and daughter died, a part of him died forever. And again, I'm crying. Well, and he's like living and he's like lying in bed at night alone, listening to the silence. I'm like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Charles is very upset. Oh, and then I will say, let's just go back to what I was saying before about Timmy and I leaving the children to you. I was saying to Timmy, like, it's like we're leaving them to Mr. Edwards. But Mr. Edwards pulls it together when he has to. And I think you would. But he also seems to like the energy of children. He does have that going for him. Oh, that's true. He actually likes children. Um, They're they're getting old enough that they kind of just sit around and mope and are dramatic. And mm -hmm, like, that's mm -hmm. I can I can deal with that. Charles is very upset. Like, they're just piling on. And I'm like, Charles, do you need a hug? Like, I'll help you. Do you need me? Um, He says to Mr. Edwards, don't talk to me about choices. You made your choice to be alone. He's right. He's right. Yep. So then Charles is giving Minerva a ride home. And when they get home, she announces, done deal. I want to adopt that kid. Like, I love that you could just go into town and get a kid. Just take kids. Yeah. She's going to want that one. She's going to spend Thanksgiving with Harriet and Nels. They go to church on Thanksgiving, which I don't understand that. It's not going to be a about that later. holiday. I don't get it. Nope. Then um, she can leave with Alicia the day after. And Charles says, I see. And Charles reluctantly agrees and looks like he's in agony and he's literally crying. Hmm. Then where does he go? He heads over to the Sanderson house. Mr. Edwards is playing a harmonica and the boys and Grace and Alicia are all dancing and smiling and laughing. And Charles walks in like the harbinger of doom. But first of all, he was at 
he he wasn't he at Mrs. Sanderson's grave. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Briefly. And I briefly. I felt like anything. I felt like she would not be okay with this. No way. She would not be okay. I. This brought up a lot because, of course, you're thinking, "What would I do in this situation?" I my no one can split my twins up. I would come back and haunt you, like Grandpa. You would haunt them. Mm-hmm. You would haunt them. Yeah, you would find a way. Yeah. So he tells he wants to talk to the children. He pulls them in the room and basically says, "Look, I failed you." Your mother gave me this job. It's too much. I tried my best. Here's what's happening. You're going to be split up. And John Jr.'s like, mom told us to listen to you. And we know you tried. It'll be fine. I have that these kids are stone silent. Like they're fucking rocks. Yeah. And like, but like my whole, my whole question here is what is the urgency? Like, I don't feel like Grace and Edwards are like, we need to get these kids out of our lives. I know. I know. Yeah. Why can't they just live with them? Why do they have to be married and be a family? Oh, aim. I know. Come on. All right. The next day at school, Nellie chases Laura and Mary down, tells them Harriet gave her permission to pay them 50 cents for the puppy. <laughs> Nellie says that she needs a puppy because Minerva will have one and then reveals that Alicia is going to live with Miss whatever I wrote. I forget her name. Farnsworth? Farnsworth. Yep. The girls look super pissed. Like they didn't even know about this. So they run home. Mary walks right past Pa and starts crying. Laura's in the barn. Charles goes to talk to Laura in the barn and Laura has the last puppy in her hands and she's like, I'm going to give this puppy to Nellie. That's it. It's done. <laughs> she's like, screw it. I don't care. Nellie will feed it. She it's said, fine. I guess it doesn't matter that she has a good home as long as she has a home. But also the puppies haven't aged at with all. the timeline. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I mean, neither have the humans. So, yeah. But humans don't age in months. Puppies would grow bigger in a month. No, I but I mean, generally, like... With the timeline of the series, oh, that's the true. humans aren't aging properly. Right. So then Laura runs and we have a scene where Caroline goes to comfort her and like basically stop being an asshole to your father. He's got enough to deal with. So Laura forgives Pa and there's a scene where she runs up to him and they hug. Okay. So what did you think about Caroline's talk there? I liked it. I thought she did a great job. I think like giving somebody a... Giving a puppy to someone out of spite, like that's a new one. Oh, I do have that written down. One. She explains <laughs> Laura is giving the puppy to Nellie out of anger. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, I liked Caroline's speech. I thought she did a good job, but I think it's pretty easy to talk to people about how great Charles is. So, okay. You know, All was right. it really that difficult? Later that night, Edwards and Grace are not speaking to each other. Grace is sewing and Edwards is just looking at her. Yeah, well, like that was unnerving. I know. She's making Alicia's sweater. And Edwards Edwards tells her she's quite a woman. And she said, oh, I don't know about that. All women folk know how to knit. Wrong, Grace. No, wrong. wrong. I don't know how to knit. I thought I was going to take up knitting a little while ago because I wanted to incorporate it in some of my art projects. So I got like Because you live in Brooklyn and it's a requirement? Some fiber stuff. Like, you know, I want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I got a thing to learn it and still sitting there with dust on it. And it's yeah. even a pandemic and I still haven't done it. <laughs> no. But I have some questions here. Yeah. So, like, why can't Grace just take them? Like, she has a job. They have a house. John Jr. is old enough to start to learn to farm. Like, why can't they just make, like, why does she need to marry Edwards to make this work? I don't understand. I don't know, Jen. I wrote, they're, they're talking about how much they love the kids. And then, 
Mr. Edwards is slowly being beaten into submission right in front of our eyes. <laughs> and I realize this show is just a series of different ways in which Mr. Edwards is broken down and forced to do things he doesn't want to. But to to argue, to be, you know, devil, devil's advocate here, and I'm always on the side of I feel like he had this, like, free spirit and didn't want to get tied down. But I feel like in this case, he actually wants this and he's fighting it. Because he thinks he doesn't want it. Like, yeah. he clearly wants this life, but I think he's terrified of it. He is. And- he, he's damaged. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The next day, it's Thanksgiving and everyone's at church. It's a packed house. Why? Because it's Thanksgiving. I the don't understand. Of the year. I don't understand why they're in church on Thanksgiving, but maybe that's a thing. The yeah. Reverend Alden asks them to hold hands and he's praying. And we see Alicia reach for Mr. Edward's hands and he looks at her and starts crying. Can we, Landon, can we be any more on the nose with this? I know. I mean, man. After church, everyone is leaving and everyone's saying goodbye. Okay, so they're all standing around. Let me paint this scene for you. (laughs) Edwards Edwards is at the top of the stairs coming out of the church. And Grace is kind of towards the bottom. And then in a half circle, there's like the Ingalls and the kids and the Olsons and Miss Havisham or whatever her name is. And the Anders. She's Miss Havisham. Come on. No, no, the Anders. Oh, oh, but also also Farnsworth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Havisham, she's there. She's there. Uh, and the Anders are there, right? Because they're going to get their meals. So they're super excited. Right. So everyone is standing around. Okay. Um, the boys ask for a minute alone with Alicia. And they walk off to the side. And they're hugging her, telling her how much they're going to miss her. I could tear up right now thinking about this scene. I was shaking. I was crying so hard. Wow. I mean, it was sad. This was sad. It was so, I was so upset. I was so, this is when I called you a scumbucket. Slightly watery. This is when I called you a scumbucket. Yes. I hadn't even like started watching it when I got, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. scumbucket. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're regressing. (laughs) Just as the children are supposed to leave. Mr. Edwards gets everyone atten- everyone's attention and he starts he having calls, a nervous breakdown. Yeah, he He's calls out breakdown. Charles like this is not right. So Mr. Edwards says, Charles, you're right. I was alone because I chose to be. But I don't have to choose that anymore. I love Grace. I love those kids. And he asks Grace to marry him right then and there. They literally go back into the schoolhouse and Reverend Alder marries them. And that's the end of the episode. If it takes a death and three crying orphan children for your man to propose to you, I don't know. That feels like a stretch. All right. So at the end of every episode, Jenny and I will look back and identify themes or some kind of lesson or trauma that we took with us going forward after the first time we saw this. So we call it our why. Jenny, what is your why for this episode? So this is why I was always worried that something would happen to mom and dad and that you know, because like at the time I would have seen this, we didn't have like an Edwards and Grace in our lives really. And like, you know, like, thank God our grandparents were pretty young. So yeah. I wasn't like too terrified Grand about totally it. Totally could have raised us. Yeah. Because she was like in her 40s. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, you just don't know because you're like, like 40s, we know is young and, and now, but like you don't know that at eight. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. you think. Oh God, what if something happens? And I thought about like where we would go mm-hmm. and you know, like Graham didn't help with this, to be honest, because she was constantly worrying about dangers and like to always telling us some horrifying story of mm-hmm. people dying. 
Yep. And like, these were the things that plagued older Sibs. Cause I'm like, I'm going to have to like, take care of Amy if this happens. Like oh, I, don't know, I was like, eight. I was like eight and I'm like, she's really difficult. How am I going to take care of her? <laughs> How am I going to stop her from crying every night? <laughs> Cause um, I knew you would take it so hard. I'm like, Amy will just break apart. So like, how do I deal with that <laughs> and find a place for us to live? Like I was taking all this on of like, I'm going to have to okay. do this. Okay. Girl. All right. Because where I was sitting, it looked like you were just chasing neighborhood boys and like drinking in the backseat of uh, this somebody's was car. Early, this was like 10 years before that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is before we moved to like the neighborhood where we had like a lot of people, you know, like a lot of other kids and families around. Like this is when we still lived in our apartment and, you know, like. We had our, thank God we had family that probably could do it, but. You don't think. Uh, there's no obvious choices. You don't think your godfather would have stepped in? That's what I mean. This is what we had, right? <laughs> this was why it was a little terrifying. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I wrote, this is why I cried myself to sleep after eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> oh, this is, this is what happened yesterday. <laughs> Wait, what kind of Ben and Jerry's? um netflix and chilled oh is that the yogurt is that yogurt or something or vegan or something yogurt no yeah vegan no it's just ice cream sorry all right um in all seriousness i wrote that i i had a hard time articulating my why for this episode because it brings up a lot i don't know if it was from this but this episode is probably one probably one of the first exposures i had to the concept of death And I remember thinking that death was so immediate as a kid. Like there was no concept of lingering. Like you were told you were going to die and you died. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like maybe we can try to figure this out or like it was like, oh, she's like it was so black and white. It was like like a once you're marked, you're marked for death. Yes. Yeah. Like you're going to die and die. Boom. Like either it was terminal or there was no in between. And then I wrote, secondly, again, we have this reoccurring theme of Edwards, like being a saved, troubled, tragic man needing to be saved. And what saves him, like first it's the love of a good woman. Now it's the love of a family. Then it was the love of God. Like there's just so much of that. So I I had a couple whys, I feel like, from this. But I think the Edwards thing is interesting too, because like, I think we may have misjudged him. Like, I think- because there's people who don't want this life, right? Who want to be a free spirit. Hanson. Like, oh, no, Hanson's married. Traveling. Oh, I mean, yeah, I don't know about the people of Walnut Grove, but like in general, right? Like mm-hmm. traveling, you know, hanging out with friends. You know, th- this Focusing is- Focusing on career. Like. Yep. Yeah, this is what I like. But I don't think- Researching think- coffee. Sure. I think we thought Edwards was this person, but maybe he's not, right? Like maybe he was the kind- that wanted a family and wanted to settle down. He did that. He did that earlier on in his life. And then that all got destroyed. And I think that that just sent him like in this other direction. Like now I don't want these things, but it's out of hurt, right? It's out of avoiding getting hurt. Right. But I think that's the point. Like they can't have a character who's just like that. So they have to give him some. Right. Cause he's not really like that. It's just a reaction. Right. Because like, the, right. the, the message is it's not okay to be like that. It's not normal. Like right. you must have something wrong with you if you if you don't want a family and stuff. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Like they don't have that. Although, although the spinster, the sp- 
Although, Mrs. Habersham, why are you calling? Is that from Andy? Great expectations. Oh, right. Oh, my God. She is kind of like that character. We're not picking that up when I was saying Oh, my God. Yeah. I was thinking you were, I think it was, I was mixing her up with the woman from Annie. (laughs) Oh, that's uh... the orphanage lady. I was mixing her up. I thought that's who you were referring to. Hold on. Hold on. She is like the great expectations lady, probably. What's the name from the Annie? I don't know. Hold it's pause. Kind of like that. Pause. We're back. It's Mrs. Hannigan, Jenny. That's so. It's close. It's close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's I, that's what I thought you were talking about. That's why I was like kind of confused. But no, I get it now. Yeah, but she like, reminds me of Mrs. Like, Havisham. Like she, like Mrs. Butterworths. No, what's her name? Farnsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think Maybe. I just called her Minerva all the time? Okay, Minerva, right? Minerva is kind of like, no, I wanted this life. Like, this is what I want yeah. to do. But also, you have to remember, especially as a woman, like, men had this choice, right? Women really didn't. Right. Like, she, you had to be wealthy. That was your only chance at not having to get married, is you had to have wealth in your family that you inherited. Because otherwise, you couldn't support yourself. Well, and even Minerva, in the end, like, oh, I have to have a family. I have to have an heir. I have to, like, everybody, it always comes back to that. Yeah, but she she at least wasn't like, I need to get married to do that. Yeah, thank God. Because she didn't need somebody to support her. Although, guarantee she would have banged Charles. When oh, he, for crying out loud. When he gave her a ride home, I was like, oh, no. no. Oh, no. And he's the hottest ticket in town, I'm telling you. Oh, you saw Doc Baker, right? <laughs> He's the other. I mean, ba- not, he's the other in town. He's okay. the other bachelor, Doc Baker. Charles is not a bachelor. No, I know. So Doc Baker's the option for single women. So is Hanson. He's I think Hanson's married. Oh, where's his wife? <laughs> locked in a <laughs> locked in a barn somewhere. She's uh she's covered in her little shawl and won't eat any cookies. Like he's Sylvia. probably a, he's older. He's probably a widower or something. Maybe, maybe. So anyway, that was, you know, it was really rough to watch this. Like, it made me think about a lot of things. I bet. Um, Again, not easy. Like, we're just in the dumpster fire that is 2020. Yeah. And it's like, you know, what's next? We already have, what, killer spiders. Yeah, isn't there, like, locusts returning in some places? I don't know. People are trolling me left and right with freaking birds. Oh, that's nothing, though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jenny, why don't you tell everybody what we're doing next? Um, We are doing, I think, the Fool's Gold episode. Now that I vividly remember. Wait, I lied. I might be lying. Yes, it's called At the End of the Rainbow, and it's the one where they think they find gold, but it's pyrite, which is Fool's Gold. Okay. Gen Xers, how many of you in your life panned for gold in a river? I did. Totally. A hundred percent. Totally. A hundred percent. And I can remember when you buy the beach toys, like you would get a pail and you would get certain things in this little like kit. You'd get the sifter. You'd get the sifter. And where did we go with that that sifter? I don't know. We were panning for gold all over the place (laughs) on the beach, which I think is not even possible. (laughs) I think it's not even possible. We were panning for gold in the Lackawanna River, probably. We were panning for gold, like at every turn. The tongue yeah, like we used creek. to have 
dad used to have his um baseball team yes. picnic remember and we would yeah. go and there would be it was like that was along the tunkian creek that's what i was referring to yeah and we would be down there in the mud i think that picture you post online is from that place maybe we'd be down there in the mud pan and for gold <laughs> Like, that's so fucked up, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The kids in the 70s were panning for gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> On that note, we want to thank everyone for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple iTunes or anywhere that you listen. Those reviews really help spread the word. And uh, thank you, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. Amy here. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. To best support us, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review on Apple iTunes or anywhere you listen. You can connect with Jenny and me through our Facebook group, The Mimi Bees. You can find information on The Mimi Bees and all other projects by liking us on Facebook or Instagram at GenXThisIsWhy. Letter X, spell out the Y. Thanks again. See you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.